Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to the Leo campus on this Labor Day weekend, and I, my name is Tom Nelson. It's good to be with you all. Um, I love Ken Dill. He's a friend, and uh, Ken's conversation is so encouraging, isn't it? Uh, Ken is now a part of our downtown campus, and uh, I think he speaks so profoundly of our conversation today, and that is that Christ community, we believe your work really, really matters. It matters a lot. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking as a church family, uh, kind of taking a little bit of time to have a family chat, and uh, we have been speaking about who we are, what we value, where we're heading, and uh, if you are visiting today, you're a guest, uh, we hope that you, as you listen into this family conversation, that you will be encouraged uh, about what Christ community is about and what God is doing, uh, and I hope you feel at home here, so we're so glad you're here, and if you're looking... Trusting God for a church home, I hope it helps you uh, answer that important quest, that question of, of what Christ's community is uh, all about. In Matthew chapter 16, our Lord Jesus says, he says, I will build my church. And the question for us is, what did Jesus mean? What did he have in mind when he said that? In the last couple of weeks, we have said that first and foremost, he had you and me in mind. That's right, you and me and Christ's community in mind. He also had a mission in mind. And that mission is what we're going to talk about today. Now, we believe at Christ's community that what we do on Sunday as we've gathered together to worship God and our Lord Jesus Christ, what we do on Sunday is no more important than what we do on Monday. Jesus, in his language of building his church, had a mission in mind. At the heart of that mission is what you and I are called to do each and every day, our work. Now, last week, Pastor Kevin highlighted for us our five strategic directions in this new decade of our mission together. We talked about these five, proclaiming the gospel, multiplying flourishing congregations, seeking the welfare of the city, developing next generation leaders, and connecting faith and work. This morning, we want to press in on this Labor Day weekend. That sounds pretty appropriate, doesn't it? We are going to focus in on this very important area of connecting faith and work. Now, our elder leadership team has highlighted the importance of this because we believe that Your work, our work, our vocational callings are not something incidental to the mission of God. They are integral to it. They are at the heart of the mission of of God in the world. And this is what we have said. Our elder leadership team has said, according to God's design, we will seek to live out a thoughtful faith that connects Sunday to Monday. We believe it is important for us to grow, that's all of us, in our understanding of how the Christian faith calls us to faithfulness in our places of work, notice this, whether paid or unpaid. We press in a bit more in three areas. We want to grow as a congregation individually and as a multi-campus congregation. In first, our understanding of the intersection of faith, vocation, and culture. Secondly, in our understanding of our gifts and callings. And third, in our understanding of how we are to steward our callings. 
Most of you are probably aware that our book, Work Matters, came out just a few months ago. And this book has found significant traction, which I am delighted to say, and I have had the privilege of being around the country talking to lots of people about this important area of connecting faith and work. And I think it's important for us to grasp that most people that I have conversations with, I can be in any context or city, and they will come up to me, and they will say pretty much this. Maybe you say this as well. They'll say, Tom, that sounds good and all. That sounds like what the Bible says. But does my work really matter? I mean, and they describe their work, right, in a tough economy and all the struggles we're having. And, and then they say to me, you know, my work matters, but Tom, I'm really not feeling that. You've been there? Sometimes we're there a long time. Sometimes we wrestle deeply with, does our work really matter? And how does our faith connect with our work? All of us, including me, struggles deeply with connecting our faith with our vocational work or our calling. All of us do. And all of us wrestle with a gap because our worlds of work and our worlds of faith seem so far apart. And the question for us, the challenge for all of us, whether we are a student, whether a retiree, whether we are a business professional, a stay-at-home mom, wherever you find yourself this morning, the question for us is, how do we begin to close this gap between faith and work? How do we do it? What Christ community, we believe that as image bearers of a working God, we were created with work in mind. That what you and I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, is as important as what I do on Sunday. What a pastor or missionary does. Whether we are paid or not paid. Your contribution, your work is important to God's mission in the world. And it is as much of an act of worship as what you and I are doing today on Sunday morning. Yet if we are transparent, we often don't hear this message. Even from pastors or missionaries or other people like me. I have confessed my error in this area. And I will share another confession this morning. That confession is I'm still growing. And I'm still trying to learn this. A couple of months ago, maybe you saw this. I often read the Kansas City Star, at least a good part of it, on a daily basis. And uh, the Kansas City Star featured our beautiful new Brookside campus that is going to open soon. Uh, It's a marvelous old building that has been restored, beautifully restored, and uh, uh, the picture, and maybe you saw it in the Kansas City Star, it was a really large picture. I was so surprised. I was really jazzed about it. And uh, I I guess we couldn't use the picture for copyright, but imagine it's what it looked like only with scaffolding on the steeple. See, with me? But what was really important was the caption on the top. You saw this, you know what was said. The caption was, a job with a higher calling. <laughs> now, we know, that if you're a journalist, you, know, you love these double entendres or double meanings. That's part of what draws readers in. But I want to suggest to you that often that 
statement or question, the job with a higher calling, is how we often view work. That there are certain jobs or works that are really important. The vocational work of people like me is somehow a more important calling than yours. Now, while this may stroke pastors and missionaries and paid-to-be-gooders like me, it may, may stroke our egos, it distorts the clear and compelling teaching of Holy Scripture. So we want to begin to unpack what God's story of work is and God's integral design for human flourishing and God's redemptive story in the world. It is often common for us to make distinctions that the Scriptures do not make. A biblical understanding of vocation eliminates these distinctions of a higher and lower calling, of the sacred and secular, and it tells us that the gospel properly understood informs all of life in an integral whole. All of us, all of us, everyone in this room has been created and empowered and called to contribute to this world. Every one of us. If you are a student here this morning, you have been called to contribute now as well as in the future as you prepare for your future. If you are a plumber, a business owner, a corporate employee, a professional, a stay-at-home mom, an underemployed person or a person looking for work, you have a contribution to make. So what I'm going to do this morning is sort of outside my norm. (laughs) I've just been feeling my oats today, I guess. I don't know. But what I'd like you to do, whoever's sitting next to you, this is not a common Christ community liturgy, (laughs) I would like you to turn right now and look at that person and tell them this. Okay, everyone, one, two, three. Your work matters. You did that good. We got to try that again. This is a new day at Christ's community. But it does matter. One of my favorite writers in this area is Frederick Buechner. Frederick Buechner says this, this is worth the price of admission. God calls you to the kind of work that you need most to do. And the world most needs to have done. Now notice what Buechner says. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Buchner's point is this. Everyone here, young and old, and in between, paid and not paid, has a contribution to make to this world and to God's mission in it. This is transforming But what we often don't understand is that not only are we called to contribute, we are empowered to make that contribution in the world. It is a truth that we often miss. So I would like to press in just a bit to this important truth this morning, and I'd like to find our way to a text in Holy Scripture that is often viewed as remote and obscure, but it is vital. And if you have your Bible this morning in electronic or paper form, I know a lot of you are getting more hip these days with electronic pieces. Pull them out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus follows Genesis. So go to the beginning and there you are. It's the second book. 
Now, before we jump in, as Wendell Berry says, again, one of my favorite current cultural writers, he says, the significance and quality of your work and meaning of your work is determined by the story in which you find yourself in. All of us have a story of work rattling around our brain, how we see work, how we think about it, how we define it. But is that story God's story? From Genesis to Revelation, we are given a story, God's story of work. And so let's press into that story a bit before we drop in in Exodus 31 this morning. Let's set the backdrop. Many of us know that God's story begins in Genesis. We are introduced to God as a working God. He does a lot of work. He still is working. And Jesus says, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. God is still working. He is a working God. And he creates a perfect world. He creates us, his human image bearers, unique in creation, to propagate and protect his creation. We were created with work in mind. But yes, the story, God's story of work, moves from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 3. And we see God's perfect creation, his perfect design goes to smash. It becomes corrupted. We become corrupted. The work we do becomes corrupted. The people we work with are corrupted. Any amens there? The context of our cultural location is corrupted. Work is not what it was designed to be. And we feel it. We're much like one of our favorite work philosophers in our day, country singer Johnny Paycheck. All of us have had that moment, take this job and shove it. And frankly, pastors have these moments when we also have a Johnny Paycheck moment. I mean, not me, of course, at Christ Community. You're too wonderful. (laughs) But I've had moments where I've had it. Pastors have Johnny Paycheck moments too. Just want to make sure you understand that. Because work, in any context, is not what it's fully designed to be. It is corrupt. It has been impacted profoundly by the fall. Economies. But the good news story of God is that Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. God has a redemptive story in mind to renew and regenerate and refocus His workers his divine image bearer workers. And we see the story of work being renewed and transformed as we walk through the pages of the beautiful, inspired terrain of Holy Writ. In Genesis 12, 15, and 17, God calls a man named Abraham. His grand good news story is going to occur through his trajectory, his story. And Abraham is given a covenant. A covenant people are set apart to bring this grand redemption to the world. And Genesis ends in kind of a downer note, right? If you remember that story, God's covenant people are in Egypt. They're not only in Egypt enslaved, they are working under oppression, making bricks. Don't miss that theme. And God rescues them from the oppression of their life and work. And he rescues them in a dramatic way. Remember the Red Sea? And they're out in the wilderness, they are provided for, they're making their way to the promised land. And this is where we enter the story in Exodus 31. In Exodus 19, 
God calls Moses. Remember Moses? Very important character. God calls Moses up to the mountain with him. And he spends 40 days with God on the mountain. Now, I think Charlton has to with me for a moment if you're having a hard time connecting. He's up on the mountain. He comes down with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. Awesome. But he spends 40 days up there, not just to get Ten Words. And what we often miss is that from Exodus 24 through 31, God has something else to tell Moses of great importance. Have you thought about that? In fact, five chapters are devoted to this. He has a work project in mind. He has a work order in mind. You might say a building project, a a sanctuary, a temporary temple where His manifest presence can dwell in a unique form in time and space. But don't miss this. It is a built space for God to enter and redeem our world of work. Don't miss that. From Exodus 25 through 30, let me just say it again, six chapters. God's specific revelation to Moses is about work and a work order. And what we often miss is that in this work order, he is giving the picture of supernatural provision to do his work. Notice with me now, 31, 1 through 6. This is God's holy word. The Lord said to Moses, see, I can imagine God sort of pointing a finger out here, see, I have called by name Bezalel, or if you have a different translation, it might be Bezalel, depending on the tradition of the Hebrew text. The son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, Now, notice this phrase. It's going to be important in a moment. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work every craft. Notice verse 6. And behold, in other words, that's God's way of saying, don't miss this. It's the word behold. I have appointed with him Eliab, the son of Ahishmach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. There is much in this rich text. It is impregnated with truth. But let me just highlight three truths that I hope will whet your appetite to go down deeper this week in this text. What we see here is an important trajectory of work from Genesis on. Three truths we're going to see quickly. One is that God specifically calls. Secondly, God specifically empowers. And God specifically designs us. First, God calls Bezalel. I might call him Bezzy for short, okay? God calls Bezzy to a specific work. Notice what the text says. Verse 2. I have called by name to a particular work. Now, by name. Why does God say that? There are multiple reasons, but the name Bezalel or Bezalel is important. The Hebrew reader would have picked this up. 
We are removed in cultural location and language, so let's scoot back. The word Bezalel means, in its Hebrew language, in the shadow of God. The word shadow in Hebrew often has the idea of presence or or, uh, protection. But what we have here is an allusion to the image-bearing nature of Bezalel as he works. He is reflecting God. It's like God is casting his shadow on Bezalel. Do not miss that. The Hebrew nuance is beautiful. Bezalel was created with work in mind. God's presence and power and reflection are all over him. He has a job to do. This is why it makes so much sense what comes next. He has a specific job. He's called to a specific job. Truth one. Secondly, God specifically empowers Bezalel to do a specific work. Notice verse 3. In verse 3, we have this phrase. If you have your text open, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. What's important to grasp is that this phrase, being filled with the Spirit or the Spirit of God, first appears in the Old Testament in this section of Exodus of someone being filled with the Spirit. And it occurs three times in three chapters, 28.3, 31.3, 35.31, where God details His work order. Why is this important? You're saying, Tom, come down to earth. Because each time this phrase, being filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, is used in the Old Testament, brings with the idea of God filling or empowering or fitting a particular person for a task. We often hear the word being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. These are very important New Testament concepts, imperatives. We are to be filled with the Spirit, Acts 2.4, Ephesians 5.18. But so often we don't understand the full biblical backdrop and comprehensive nature of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the walking in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul speaks a lot about being filled with the Spirit, and he weaves brilliantly in the, in the epistles a connection to work. For the Apostle Paul, who was a tent maker and a rabbi, a beautiful picture of integrity there, to walk in the Spirit was first to work in the Spirit. Why do I say that? It is not only woven in the New Testament, if you look, but it's an understanding of creation design. The vast majority of our time, we are to be devoted to work. That is how we are designed. Therefore, being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is primarily about work and doing work well. If we do not catch this, this is the trajectory of being filled with the Spirit from the Old Testament on. If we do not see this, then we have a very impoverished view of the Holy Spirit and the filling and walking in the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit and the walking in the Spirit that is further unpacked in the New Testament empowers us for a job to do, a task to accomplish in bringing redemption to the world and the common good. Being filled with the Spirit is not just about having a personal experience that is meaningful, as wonderful as that is, It is about accomplishing God's specific task for you to do in the world. We must catch this. 
One of the reasons we often have a sizable Sunday to Monday gap is because we have not inextricably linked what the Bible links in terms of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our work. And they are inextricably linked. To walk in the Spirit first is to work in the Spirit. That is so important to grasp. Third, God designed Bezi or Bezalel with a specific work in mind. He gives him a certain name. The name casts the picture of his image bearing. He empowers him with the Spirit. And specifically what we have in verse uh, 3 is a picture of his resume. Bezi or Bezalel is wired in a certain way to accomplish a purpose in the world. As a child, I can imagine Bezi's parents looking at little Bezi and going, look at that kid. He's always playing with blocks. He's got an erector set. He's the kind of kid that gets lost at Legoland all day because he's wired a certain way. Grandma, Grandpa, you know that about your grandkids. You see that. Mom and Dad, you see that. Kids are wired in a particular way. I remember when our kids were younger. This is sort of carried over in the Nelson lore. But uh, Schaefer and Sarah, our two children, were very different how they were wired. They had a different bent. And... uh, Schaefer was very verbal and sort of creative about the charts, you know. Sarah wasn't, wasn't, she wasn't verbal. She was really tactile. She was athletic. She was kinetic. Everything was about gymnastics. I mean, she found it early and just was absorbed in gymnastics. Well, Schaefer, you know, did gymnastics for a while. You know, my, my sweet wife, Liz, wanted to expose him to all kinds of things to kind of find out what he was about. And he walks in the door one day, looks Liz in the eye. He's about this high. After he'd been at gymnastics, he says, Mom? Gymnastics is like an old shoe. It doesn't fit anymore. (laughs) Yeah. He knew it. Everybody else knew it. That's not who he was to be. This is the idea here in the text. The resume language in verse 3 are four Hebrew words, and they are translated his ability, his intelligence, his knowledge, and his skill. What is going on here? God is highlighting Bezalel's seasoned competence. I don't want you to think the filling of the Spirit in this context is sort of a shazam. You know, poof. All of a sudden, I'm just really superman in what I do. I mean, my work, I got it all figured out. I have all these talents. All of a sudden, bam, right there. God, fill me, and I can do the work. That's not the text at all. These four Hebrew words tell us there is preparation. There is human responsibility in terms of vocational competence. The Holy Spirit is not a genie in a bottle. Students, if you're preparing for a career, if you're studying, keep studying. Being filled with the Spirit is to empower you to study well, to work well. All of us should be learning. The Holy Spirit's not a genie in a bottle. The Holy Spirit is like a coach that comes along, a training of a, of a devoted and disciplined athlete. Why do I say that? There's some wonderful connections if you just think about it. The language of Genesis is a helper. I'm going to make a helper to do God's work in the world, right? Say yes. Adam and Eve, they need a helper. And that's not just because a marriage is going to work. So this language of helper is important. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is coming. He is the parakletos. He is the helper, the one come alongside. See, the Holy Spirit is not the holy replacer. 
is the enabler. He is the helper. You and I have a contribution to make. Bezzy has the right stuff. He's done his homework. His hands are weathered. He's worked hard to develop the skills God has given him. The Holy Spirit empowers him. Don't miss that. One of the things I can tell you about me is I'm not like Bezzy. <laughs> I'm amazed that some of you have can do stuff with your hands like that and make things. This summer, I've been doing this all-summer project. It is my back-weathered 20-year-old cedar deck. <laughs> you don't want me to build a deck for you. I just, I'll just be very transparent. I mean, I am not tool, the Tim, I mean, Tim the tool man. I am Tom the terrible. I mean, I am just terrible. Because I am not wired that way. And notice in the text in verse 6, not only did God call and empower Bezzy, he did the same for Oholiab. And notice what the text says. Don't miss this. I have given to all, all men means all people, all ability to everyone. That's everyone in this room. God has created you. He has designed you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and are walking in the power of the gospel, he empowers you to do your contribution. Wow. You have everything you need in that place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meets. Your work matters. It matters more than you can imagine. For the common good, the glory of God, and God's redemptive mission in the world. It's at the heart of it. It is not on the outside. So how do we begin to connect our faith and our work? How do we close the Sunday-Monday gap we all struggle with? Let me suggest a couple quick takeaways, and then we're going to have a little more conversations with a couple friends of mine here. First, redefine your work. What do I mean? This is not some academic exercise. Redefine your work as a contribution you are called to make, not a job you are paid to do. The biblical understanding of work is not first remuneration, it is contribution. So if you are a stay-at-home mom, if you're a retiree, wherever you are, a student, business leader, professional, your theology of work is first a contribution that you are to make. Do not confuse your self-worth with your net worth. Do not confuse how much you make with how much you are valued to God. Do not confuse the grade point average you have with your worth. The good news of the gospel declares your great worth. Jesus died for you. He shed his innocent blood for you. Your identity, identity is in Christ, not your job. If you get this right, success will never inflate you like you've done it. Nor will failure devastate you that it's all your fault. You are freed up to be and to contribute how God has made you. This is so foundational. Set this compass right. Define work biblically. Secondly, reframe your work. See your work as something you were created to do, not as something you have to do. Work is first and foremost an act of worship. Apostle Paul Anderson, he said, do your work heartily as for the Lord. Miroslav Volf, a wonderful theologian, describes the empowerment to do your work, to make your contribution. 
He says, there is a sense in which all human work is done in the power of the Spirit. And let's remember, the Spirit-filled life is not just a joy we experience, but a job we're empowered to do. The Holy Spirit was given to us not just to make us more like Christ, as vital as that is, but to do the work of Christ that you are called to do. Let's remember, for 30 years, Jesus spent, the incarnate Son of God, spent 30 years in a carpenter shop making things. Jesus was much more than a carpenter. He shed his blood on the cross, his ultimate mission, but he was not less than a carpenter. He came to seek and save the lost on the cross. He fulfilled that glorious purpose. But his incarnation tells us something else, as well as his vocation as a carpenter. And that is that Jesus settled the matter of the importance of work once and for all. The good news of the gospel and the good news of work come together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything we have been given the air we breathe, the beautiful rain we receive, was that amazing? The gifts we have, the money we have, the friends we have, everything we have is a gift from God. And if that is what, true what the Scripture says, that everything is a gift, then we are a steward of that gift. Every talent, every skill is a gift entrusted for you, to you for a time. So what are you doing with it? We need to broaden our understanding of stewardship from just giving money, as important as that is, to everything we do and everything we are about, men and women. We need to move from stewardship in a category to stewardship as a category for all of life, an integral category that connects Sunday to Monday. Amy Sherman will be here in our conference. I want to encourage you to come to this conference. April 6th of 2013, Amy and Andy Crouch will be here. Amy has written a wonderful book I recommend to you. It's called Kingdom Calling, Vocational Stewardship for the Common Good. And we're going to have a conversation across our campuses and our city about the importance of vocation and stewardship. Let me highlight just a couple things she says, just to whet your appetite. She says, we can be good stewards of our vocational influence, and we can do it in different ways. First, by deploying your vocational influence. Wherever you are, bloom where you're planted, that's the first thing. All of us at school, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods have incredible influence through our work. Bloom where we're planted. Secondly, donate your vocational skills. Outside of your normal day-to-day paid job or whatever your work is, find a place of contribution to our city and donate some of the gifts you have to other organizations or other contexts for the church. This week, I had a wonderful coffee with a member of Christ Community, our Leewood campus, name's Todd Jones. We had such a good time, and he was telling me in his work world, his calling to work in the title business and how he loves that, but he is also volunteering at Mission Adelante, one of our extension ministry partners, and bringing business leadership to that important organization for the common good. Many of us here can find a place of volunteering and contribution. So what are we saying? Bezalel's work mattered to God. Your work matters to God. 
God fashioned Bezalel. He designed him. He empowered him. He gave him a specific job to do, a contribution to make in his world, in his redemptive mission, and he has given that to you. The gospel changes everything. It changes how we see our work, how we do our work, the empowerment for our work, and who we do it for. Jesus said, I will build my church. What did he mean? He meant that your vocational faithfulness is at the heart of that. Because of primary work of the church is the church at work. This morning, I want to invite up some friends and members of Christ's community up here. And uh, I want to invite David Greisel and Debbie Green to come up. We're going to have a little bit more of a conversation. I was light on application. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about on this Labor Day, work, Labor Day weekend about work. And uh, David and Debbie, uh, I'll let you share a little bit about your lives and how you're trying to figure out how to bridge this gap. But one of the fun things is that David and Debbie are, well, couple of the individuals who wrote a little of their story in our book, Work Matters. And as people read the book, they say the stories are the best part. See, the part that they wrote, not what I wrote. Um, but thank you for doing that, and uh, thank you for sharing your stories. And I know you've thought a lot about, and you're still wrestling with, like me, connecting faith and work. Um, David, uh, let me start with you, okay? You're an architect. You're a small business owner. Um, and I know Exodus 31, particularly, this text, in your story, is important. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, you just took my two main points. I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm an architect. That. I'm a small business owner. But, um, no, uh, I've, I've actually I've been waiting all my life to hear somebody teach on Exodus 31. This is, this is a, a watershed moment for me because, uh, you know, important text. if you ask me who my Bible hero is, it's Bezalel uh, for, for pretty obvious reasons. He's kind of like the the patron saint of architects. So uh, this is very exciting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a long journey and uh, not always a happy one. You know, I've, I've had a long history in various churches before we came to Christ community, been a Christian a long time. And some of those churches were maybe not where we are in terms of thinking about faith and work and heard a lot of messages from the pulpit and elsewhere saying, you know, if you want your life to matter, go on the mission field, or if you want your life to matter, give all your money to what we're doing for God, or if you want your life to matter, you know, do this or that, instead of if you want your life to matter, do your work the best you can and and bless the community through it. And so, um, you know, it's been a struggle at times, and it's great to finally be in a place where what we do every day is is seen as having value, and that's... uh, that's a great blessing to us, and then hopefully we can turn that around and be a blessing to our community. I don't think I've ever met anyone whose hero, biblical hero, is Bezalel. So I think you're unique. <laughs> Debbie, tell us a little about, thank you, David. Tell us a little about your story. Uh, you were in the corporate world. You're now a stay-at-home mom. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what you're thinking about this connection. Yeah. Um, I met my husband, Jay, in graduate school. We were getting our MBAs together, and afterwards we got married, and we moved to Chicago where we began our professional careers in the world of management consulting. I was a change management specialist and worked for many years in that field and uh, had made manager, and Jay and I had purchased our first home, and uh, we decided it was time to start our family, and I became pregnant. 
And during my pregnancy, we actually had a medical scare, and we thought that we may have a baby that had higher needs. And so I had planned uh, in my mind that I was going to stay home part-time, and I was going to work part-time and have the best of both worlds. Um, and that news really set us back a step, and we had to reevaluate uh, what I was going to do with my life and how we were going to best serve the needs of our small family. So we decided that if we did have a child that had higher needs, we would need to come back to the Kansas City area where we had family. And we picked up and moved. Just within a couple of months, God's hand was very evident in getting us back here. And we moved back here when I was seven and a half months pregnant. And shockingly, we delivered a healthy baby girl. And so I had to reevaluate my plan again. I'm not going to necessarily need to tend to the very high needs of a high-need infant, but what am I going to do? Am I going to stay home? Am I going to go back to work? What's that balance going to be for me? And after a great deal of struggle, actually, with that, um, I decided ultimately to stay home. And I don't regret it. Uh, at all. There certainly are days and moments where I have missed the work world and the out of girls that you get there. And, um, and I think some of the, the fulfillment at times has been a challenge for me, missing some of that sense of accomplishment, of getting a job done well, um, because my goal is now a longer term. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't change it again. I wouldn't change it. It's been very fulfilling, and it's been wonderful to see how God has utilized my education and my training and my skill set out in the broader community, in my own home, and certainly in my church home as well. I think that's really great. I appreciate you guys kind of sharing transparently your stories uh, a little bit on that. One of the things that I've you know, wrestled with is this gap, and we've talked a lot about this gap, and there are people in the congregation this morning that are here with a wide variety of backgrounds. Some are students, some are retirees, some are in, you know, in, a, in a tough career, some are dealing with a very difficult economy like we're in. Uh, these are very challenging times uh, that way. And so how is this st God's story of work, how does that speak into these different contexts and, and your own context? I mean, how do we take the story of work that, that scripture gives us and how do we begin to make progress in connecting that to our particular situation? Maybe start with yours, but if there's a word you have with students or retirees or, or different contexts, how, how would they begin to take the next steps in this? How is that, what's that connection? Well, for me, the, the, the Bezalel story is the, is the way into that because it was a realization that um, you know, not only do, do people's spiritual lives matter to God, but also spaces and places and design matter to God as well. And so it, it began to open up for me the possibility that that what I do as an architect really does matter to God, that it, it, it's, it's significant you know, to him, and that, all, as you said, all those chapters of Exodus talking about the design of the tabernacle suggest that God is interested in design, so. and that's, you know, for, what would be more exciting than that for an architect to learn that God is interested in design? So um, that was a, you know, a really broadening thing. I think Ken Dill said it so well in that video that when you realize you're working for God, the game changes, and that, that is just so true. It's just, that to me is the big, the, big, uh, the big click over from connecting Sunday to Monday. Excellent. Debbie? I think one of the challenges for me is that I don't have a clear workplace that I go to every day. I don't have a place I get in my car, I go there, I stay nine to five. So I've had to define for myself, or redefine for myself rather, what is my workplace and who are my coworkers? Who do I journey through this with? 
Is it simply my husband and my kids and maybe a couple of neighbors or other stay-at-home moms? And I've determined that, that that's not necessarily the case. And I think this is relevant for the students that are with us today and retirees and those who don't do paid work, is trying to ascertain who, who are you co-laborers with in the field? And for me, it was, it was coming to the point of realizing that it was, in fact, everybody I interacted with throughout the course of the day, whether that was a committee of moms that I met at a school function that day to get some tasks completed, or whether it was a Bible study I came here and met my friends at, or whether it was letting in the Maytag repairman to fix my washing machine, or going to the grocery store and meeting the checkers. All of those people were people that I was called to interact with and to minister to and to hopefully be a representative of Christ to those people and to represent him well as his hands and feet in those various interactions. I think that's really well said. And I guess I just, as we kind of wrap this up, we'd love to talk more. I mean, there's just so much we could talk about. And I'm so grateful you guys are willing to come up and talk about your story As you look at our congregation, this congregation assembled today, is there one or two things that you'd want them to to take with them? I mean, if you could, uh, and I know you're open to visit with people who want to talk with you about how you're trying to connect Sunday to Monday, but is there one or two things that you would share that you'd want them to get today or make a connection? Is there one or two things? You've talked about it, but is there one or two that you want to leave them with? Um, Well, yeah, just a couple of real practical points Um, as as a practicing architect and a small business owner, I think, you know, where this rubber meets the proverbial road is, is in two areas. One is in just the work of the design work that we do, whether it's envisioning big buildings or small buildings or interiors or renovations or even carpets, of thinking about what, you know, how is this design going to bless the city and, and the people who live here and how is it going to make their lives better? How are we going to make the world a better place through... Yeah this little piece of design, however small it is, and that's, that's emboldening. Uh, in a, in. And the other part is just as a small business owner, just in every business decision that you make, and of course I'm confronted with cajillions of them every day. Cajillions, um, that's a good word, I like lots. that. Um, and my, my wife, Teresa, is my business manager, and she helps a lot in this, but just thinking about, you know, not just what's legal here or what does the IRS allow us to do here, but what's really right here. And then at the beginning of this year, we, we switched our team over from contract workers to employees because we just felt like that was the right thing to do. And that's an example of how I think God is really in the driver's seat in our business. At least I, I want him to be in the driver's seat in our business, helping us make those decisions in, in ways that aren't just meeting the letter of the law, but really meeting the spirit of what God would want us to do. I love that because if we understand the theology of work in Scripture, it shapes everything about work, from justice to fairness, and it gives us multiple bottom lines that we're looking at in terms of a business enterprise. Excellent. I love that. Debbie, last last words that you want to give? Well, I think that regardless of what our calling is or what even our season of life is, that we all have opportunities I think, to point others to Jesus. It just takes intentionality on our part. So it's thinking through, you know, before I walk into that meeting on Thursday at 3 o'clock, how can I be a blessing to others? Or how can I, you know, point my friend to Christ who's struggling? I have a tendency to want to fix people's problems. And I can't fix my own, let alone anybody else's. But I can point them to the ultimate fixer of all problems. 
And then I think also that um, we're all in this journey together. And no matter where you are, there are people that are walking ahead of you on the trail who have been through mm -hmm. what you're about to go through, whether it's in your professional life, your personal life, whatever it may be. But there are also those who come behind you. And so if you're a re retiree, there are so many ways that you can encourage those who maybe are just becoming retirees themselves or who are struggling in their work-life balance. Or if you are a college student, you can reach back to high school students and help them with the application process. Or if you're a high school student, you can reach out to a middle schooler. And if you're a middle schooler, you can reach down to the kids in elementary school if you volunteer in the CAP program. Mm -hmm. Now, we all have the opportunity, I think, to bless others throughout the course of our day, regardless of where we may be in our um, life's journey. Well, thank you guys. Uh, let's give them a hand. It's just so nice to have you come up with some of these bright lights. And, uh, stay here, okay? I'd like you to stand, and I'm going to have you guys stay up here with me. And uh, at Christ Community Often, if you've been here a while, you know that we commission pastors and missionaries for the important vocation they're called to. We often pray for them and send them out. And this morning, we want to send you out. We want to pray for the vocational calling and your commissioning this morning. Uh, and so I'd like you to bow your heads, and I'd like to pray a prayer of commissioning as you are seeking to be faithful in the contribution God has called you to make in the world. Heavenly Father, you have created, you have called, you have empowered each one of us to contribute to your good world, to live out and proclaim the gospel in our various vocational callings, to connect our Sunday worship with our Monday work. Grant that each one of us sent out by you into the world this week may endeavor to make each day's work an act of worship. Lord Jesus, as your called out ones, your church, your body, we pray that we might be your heart, your hands, and your feet in our places of work and service. Holy Spirit, fill us with your power. Send a new empowerment, a new sense of reign to quench our souls, to, to inspire us, to encourage us. Grace us with a servant heart, a heart of gentleness, patience, and humility. Replace any greed, selfishness, or pride that would taint our work and make it an unworthy offering to you. May our work be a fragrant aroma of your beautiful presence to all around us. May each of us ever be mindful that we are to do Christian work, that is, that our work is to always be well done for the glory of God and the common good. May the affections of our hearts be properly ordered and may our lives be wholly devoted and surrendered to you. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing as we continue to worship.